Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitschow. And today we're going to talk about a new social network named Ello. Thus, thus the funky opening. Thus the punky opening, which I made Chris <laughs> do because I was not about to subject you to that. <laughs> I, on the other hand, was perfectly happy to subject you to it. There you go. So we're going to talk about Ello. We're interested in it because... We talk a lot about social media on Winning Slowly, not particularly because we have a more than average interest in social media, but because right now social media is a huge issue in tech. And that's what we do here. We do tech. So we are interested in Elo. We're also interested in Elo because we're interested in business models. And we've had several episodes about business models. This time around, Elo is trying to do something slightly different and not doing an ad-supported model. But there are some issues with how they've been doing their startup funding, or maybe they aren't issues, or maybe you think they issues and they aren't, or they aren't issues and they think they are. That's kind of the controversy. So Elo is a few months old. I'd started seeing mentions of it back probably mid-summer. I think they launched in May or June quietly, and they've been invite-only. They're still invite-only, but they kind of hit a critical mass recently where enough people had been invited and were using their invitations that they started exploding into the news a whole bunch and started getting a lot more press, started becoming more available because the chances that, especially if you run in tech circles, the chances that you knew someone who had invites to give started going up exponentially. When you log in, you have five invites you can send to people. Once you reach a certain number of people, that you know that has the opportunity to grow very rapidly. Now, Elo's basic premise is we'll let you do kind of multimedia, micro-ish blogging. So Twitter's your standard microblog. You get 144 characters, and that's it. Other entrants into this sphere have not done particularly well in the long term. Our beloved app.net, had a year and a half run or so. It's still running, but I can tell you it's getting quieter over there. And Twitter's still going strong. Elo lets you write much longer posts, whereas app.net bumped it up from 144 to 256. Uh, I haven't actually found the character limit on Elo yet. It seems that it will let you just type up long, lengthy, ongoing, rambly blog posts if you so desire. And it, it also is heavily is... oriented on sharing non-text media it's a lot of the early adopters have been artists and so there's right. a lot of visual art on there right and one of the, the other interesting things about it is that they use markdown when you're doing your blog posts mm -hmm. so it's set up to say hey you can write as long as you want in the style that you want so it kind of caters towards text producers but elo itself promotes mostly visual arts with its official Things its official account shares and so yes. on. So it's an interesting sort of place. The UI is very minimalistic, almost yeah. to the point of being confusing. The user experience is not necessarily intuitive. It's These definitely are... still a beta. And they it's... say so, to be fair. Yeah, but it's definitely, definitely a beta. still a beta. It's, it's definitely something in progress. They're definitely still working on it. 
there's definitely, like Chris said, a skew towards visual content. And I'm not generally a visual content creator. So even though I'm on Elo, I haven't found a community necessarily yet other than people that I already <laughs> would have been hanging out with and talking with on the internet. I haven't really found anyone new or a conversation to join that really fits what I do, which is, you know, music media. And this was a problem with, with G plus as well. I tried to do G plus tried to do the music thing. Just nobody there was doing that. So it was for me, Elo has been a, just another social media thing so far. Mm hmm. Other than we really like the business model. We really like the idea that it's not ad supported. Right. Well, rather, we like what they're denying in their business model. We don't know right. what their actual business model will be yet. Right. Because all they've told us so far is we will not be ad supported and we're going to sell you things. Which is difficult because they haven't started selling those things yet. So we don't right. know what they are. And to start up, you generally need money. Generally, you can bootstrap it from nothing without any loans and just using all your spare time. Plenty of companies have done this. And it seemed at the beginning that this is what Elo had done. There's seven creators of Elo, so it seems like maybe they had distributed the work across all of them and they all just did it in their spare time and made it up and away we go. Well, that's not exactly true. Errol right. Balkin pointed out that. Fresh Tracks Capital, which is a venture capital fund, had given them $435,000 in venture capital. Now, $435,000 is Not very, very little. Yeah, yeah, it's very little in the world of venture capital. It's also Fresh Tracks is not based in Silicon Valley. Neither is Elo. Elo is not in Silicon Valley. So right off the bat, there are several aspects of this venture capital situation that are, you know, different. However, they just didn't disclose that at any point on Elo <laughs> right. or anywhere. The only place that it was disclosed was on Fresh Tracks Capital, where they were. They said, "This is we're what we're doing." In these guys, and so naturally, there were some people who were disappointed and angry uh the blog post that will link starts out with the phrase i'm disappointed <laughs> <laughs> so there's some level of concern that any amount of contact with venture capital sullies the waters so as soon as you have venture capital that means you have exits as soon as you have exits you don't have a pure experience. That's right. essentially the the argument of this blog post. Right. Exits for some of our listeners who may not spend all their time reading about economics of tech capitalism. What? Because Stephen what? and I are nerds. We like have that. those. <laughs> we have real uh, people listeners. <laughs> there are a few sometimes. <laughs> uh, the exit, quote unquote, is where the early investors and honestly, a lot of times the founders, uh, when the company starts becoming sufficiently large and or profitable a lot of times it's large or profitable right uh it makes a sale to some yet larger company the prototypical example of this being instagram 
which yeah. got very large and then got bought by Facebook. They're kind yeah. of one of the notable starts to the current large trend of this happening. And then the early I mean, investors. It had been happening me, before that, but yeah, Instagram they were is the definitely notable, a high watermark. Yeah, they they started the round of people getting bought for billion plus dollars. I can um, hang with that. <laughs> the the early investors and sometimes the founders then get to exit, which is they sell their stock when that happens, and they walk away with lots and lots and lots and lots of money. This is a, why a lot of venture capital works the way it does. They say, we'll give you this money on the premise that you're going to get very large and get bought by someone much larger for a very large sum of money, and we will make lots and lots of money and leave. Right. I should say, this is how venture capital in Silicon Valley tends to work. There are people who do venture capital, who do, quote, angel investing to help companies make big products, good products, on the principle that there will be some return, not on the principle that there would be enormous heaps and gobs of money return. Silicon Valley's venture capital culture is distinctive. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a good and, word for it, distinctive. <laughs> and the venture capital firm here does seem to be more the... We want to see this become profitable, but we're not in this for a huge exit. They've said as much, and they've said that their goals for the social network, for it being ad-free all along, align with the founders. And that's reassuring in some ways. Less reassuring, though, is the reality that, as a number of commentators have pointed out, having that venture capital money in there does put some pressure on the founders to do certain things in certain ways. Yeah, they got to get that money back somehow. Right. That's just a reality <clears throat> of the situation. That's right. not a gift. Yeah. <laughs> Me, so, if I were doing a startup, I'd say you can generously give to me as much money as you want. Just don't necessarily expect any of it back, which right. means I would probably not be a successful startup recruiter of money. But I don't know. know. <laughs> I would give you money. It would be a donation on Kickstarter or something. But... <laughs> right. And this is. Again, why some people eschew venture capital and do the Kickstarter route or do the bootstrap it from the ground up in your spare times because giving, whether it's money aspect or giving some amount of stock or stake or there's a lot of ways that this goes, but giving up some part of your company so that you can build a bigger company is, you know, the basic idea of venture capital, large and small. And people try to go outside of that system, which we've talked about that several times. And so the basic premise here is that Ello is saying, hey, our venture capital is real small, so we're not actually gonna fall into the traps of venture capitalism. And other people are saying venture capitalism equals venture capitalism, regardless <laughs> right. of size. Right. And so it's an interesting question because, you know, $435,000, not a whole lot of money in terms of venture capital. No, and to especially, pay seven people, it doesn't actually go very far. Yeah, especially if that's the only venture capital that they that they take on. Right. Now, they may have to take on more, perhaps from this company, perhaps from other companies in other rounds of funding. They may not. We don't right. know yet. They haven't been super forthcoming with their plan financially or their plan for venture capital other than <laughs> saying, don't worry about it, guys. We've got this. 
you know, that I think is where the cause for legitimate concern about their funding structure does come up. You know, when your business model essentially is asking people to trust you that you're not going to sell their data, et cetera. And really, that's your differentiator at this point. Otherwise, they kind of look like Tumblr with a more minimalistic aspect um, and more integrated replies from you know the Twitter kind of world. Right. Uh, one of the commentators on Accidental Tech Podcast, which just covered this, uh, one of them pointed out that it this is kind of a, interface-wise, it's split down the middle between Twitter and Tumblr. And that's a pretty good description. Uh, but when you're essentially asking people to say, look, we're going to go with you because of your differentiator, which is your business model and your willingness not to go the advertising route. Well, being very open about your financial approach is going to engender a lot more trust. You immediately start eroding people's trust in you when you say, look, we're doing this the right way. We're not going to go the advertiser direction. And then you conveniently leave out the fact that you do have venture capital investment. You know, if you just say, we've got venture capital, it's a small amount from this comp this uh, investing firm over here that agrees with us that this is a, a better way of doing things and agrees with us that advertiser-driven social media is terrible, that actually gives you more cachet right out the front. But right. I haven't done that. And so it made them look bad. It put them on the back. Uh, kind of rocked them back on their heels and they had to come out with a defensive no really you don't have to worry about it you know we've talked a lot before about messaging and how the ways you communicate make a big difference we've talked about this interestingly in a related segment when we were talking about twitter and also taylor swift so it's it's kind of a bummer that their business model is trust us we're good <laughs> dudes over here and then their first major crisis point is Oh, you did something untrustworthy. That's not very good for that whole <laughs> right. trust us thing. So that's not necessarily because they thought that this was a big hairy deal. One of the responses that the LO team had was, why would we lead with that? Well, <laughs> you know, that's a good point, I suppose. You don't, If you're trying to place yourself as the alternative, you don't want to say, hey, look, we're the ad alternative with venture capital. <laughs> so, I, so I understand that. But at the same time, I also think that this is a failure of how they think about the overall ways that people react to news. Mm -hmm. So this is some amount of backlash on venture capital. Sure, fine. But I think this is also the way that people react to things they didn't know, which is a much larger, you know, sociological, psychological structural communications sort of problem there's things you've said that encompass the entirety of what you want people to know then people will believe that that's the entirety of things that you need to know mm -hmm. and then if you just leave things out and those come to light later then it's hard for people to believe in the future that that is the reality of you saying everything that you people need to know right people feel like you're trying to deceive them via omission yeah, and so we're quickly swinging over into an ethics episode over here, which is... Shocking. Well, that's not where I expected this to go. <laughs> I thought we were going to bash on some VC some more. But there's really a tension there between how do we communicate things that are important to us and how do we communicate things that are important to our audience, 
when those things might not be the same thing. Right. And so how do you mitigate the gap there between the ways that we want to represent ourselves and the ways that people want to know and the things that people want to know about this information? Right. I was having a conversation on Ello, interestingly, with uh, an acquaintance slash friend I made on app.net about Google and Apple, totally unrelated in a lot of ways. But he made the salient point that one of the lessons to take away from how we've seen the uh, various iOS and Android platforms develop is as creators, you always need to be considering the the audience, considering the end user, et cetera. And this is, you know, this kind of runs up against the person going it alone for their own reasons, auteur model of the arts, but the mm-hmm. same thing for design, et cetera. There's a necessity yeah. of considering your audience, considering the person who will be using your product, et cetera, and doing that in a way that shows considerable respect for them, that shows that their needs are important and not just your interests, yep. and that asks how this thing that you think is interesting and therefore is certainly genuinely interesting to at least some other group of people, figuring out how to communicate that and how to present that and then how to execute on it in a way that respects your audience, respects your would-be users. So when you're creating an album, you know, to... I'm thinking here about one of our early episodes where we talked about making the swing from one style to another or Mm -hmm. changing it up when you create a new album. Yep. There's a necessity of thinking about how that's going to communicate to your audience. There's a necessity of thinking about how your audience is going to understand that. And if nothing else, even if you go ahead and go full-on genre shift— it's important to do that in a way that communicates that you still respect your audience, that you right. still appreciate your audience. Right. And in Ello's case here, it was important for them to say, here are our goals and here are the ways in which we're going about trying to accomplish those goals. We're working out a business model of things that we can sell in one-off and ongoing relationship kinds of ways with you. And we've taken a little venture capital so we can have the a little extra time to make a good business model. And right there, you've done that. You've respected your audience. You've treated them as intelligent. You've treated them as people who, by dint of the fact that they're interested in an ad-free network, already have certain expectations and concerns. Right. You know, maybe in the long run, yeah, maybe in the long run, you end up picking up a much broader audience. That is, of course, your goal. But your first wave of adopters is certainly going to be composed of people who, like you, share concerns about the potentially corrupting influence of certain kinds of revenue streams. And one of those potentially corrupting revenue streams is bad venture capital. And so clearing the ground first is just a way of respecting your users and respecting your audience. Right. I think there's also a level where it's one step removed to associate venture capital with ads. Mm -hmm. But it's not a huge step, (laughs) but it is a step. And so perhaps they just didn't think that people would make that sort of leap. I don't know. But that's still a kind of fundamental misunderstanding of who the early adopters were, Mm -hmm. which is potentially not who they thought they were going to get. Because like they stated at their beginning, they were a group of artists and programmers, not, you know, 
tech people and programmers or right environmentalists or programmers. These are artists who expected that it was going to be an art sharing space to some degree. And they still promote art a lot on their official channels. So to some degree, they still feel that that's one of the main core competencies. Hmm. I was just taught <laughs> to say that word say wrong. It. I was taught to say the word wrong. I don't know why. <laughs> they thought that we'll was one you. of their main competencies. But yeah, I mean, Elo might not be wrong. There might be a whole bunch of artists going on there. But it's an interesting gap to try to talk about. I mean, I went to various classes throughout my graduate career that are all about how content creators, whether they be official or unofficial, can reach their audience and know their audience better. So I'm always interested in how audience understand the things that content creators or platform creators or anybody is pushing out into the world. So this is not a problem that Elo is alone in. This is a no. <laughs> huge communications issue. But, right. And to be fair, Elo has responded to these concerns without trying to hide them. There is a bit of a contentious feel because there is a bit of a contentious feel to the blog that right. uncovered the uncovered is the wrong word, but kind of uncovered the right, that highlighted. Yeah. So <clears throat> you know, contention breed contention. So. That makes sense. Right. When a when a user writes a big post on Elo saying don't use Elo. Right. In That's... pretty hostile terms. And it's clear that a lot of it is for ideological reasons that are much broader merely than the venture capital. There's also some ideological affirmation of open source and so on that right. is an undercurrent there. Right. It's natural for the company to feel defensive and say, We don't we're not trying to hide this. It just wasn't our, our lead. And why are you getting all jumpy about these things? Right. Right. So there is some good that Elo has done in responding to the, these pretty difficult, hostile attacks <laughs> part that they haven't just said, oh, yeah, that guy, whatever, which we know plenty <laughs> right. of tech companies that do that. What we're really curious with in Elo in the long term is whether they do indeed come up with a sustainable business model, because it's really hard. We saw that with App.net, which got a number of things wrong in terms of its business model, as evidenced by the fact and business model here, I'm speaking very broadly, not just in the sense of what do people pay for what services, but how does that relate to marketing and how do you position yourself uh, versus potential competitors and how do you differentiate yourself against those competitors and how do you make yourself look, you know, all of those things are part of your quote business model unquote. And we saw it with uh, editorially, which we both really liked oh. in principle and I knew you were going to have to talk about that. I know. They never found a sustainable business model, and they were looking for one, and they wanted to have people pay for services, and they said mm. right out the door, we are not going to do advertising. And yeah. it's it's kind of familiar in the sense that Ello right out the door is saying, we're going to do something different. We're not going to do advertising. I think editorially had some venture capital. It's You have to, uh, or another source of investment or – be independently wealthy or be yeah. young and be able to survive on ramen noodles. Right. But yeah, editorially made the same kind of move and they were never able to find a working business model. And that was really sad. Yeah. You know, we could see the same thing happen with Ello. It could be that this is a really neat idea, but it just won't work. Yeah. At the same time, I think it is a neat idea. And I, 
I think it is an important idea, and I fundamentally disagree with another article that I saw that assumed that this kind of uh, funding model is inherently consumer hostile. Uh, ben Thompson usually hits it on the on the nose when he's doing business analysis, but I think he's just flat wrong. I don't think that a social network has to be advertising funded to be consumer friendly. In fact, quite the opposite. I think a social network that thinks very carefully about its business model and works really hard to align its incentives with what's good for its consumers could be really successful while eschewing advertising. But it's going to be hard because you need traction. You need a sufficient number of people who are willing to pay a certain amount for at least some of those services. You have yeah. to, in doing that, make sure that you align what your payment scheme is with what actually benefits your users, because otherwise you'll end up broken. Here's a question. So one of the concerns that you noted was the lack of open source. Mm -hmm. What if there was a sort of modified open source where you could, for a fee, have access to the open sourceness of it. So it's not like totally open source just out there on the internet, but for money, you as a person or as a corporation could use the open source, sort of like APIs, but mm -hmm. bigger, you know? Yeah, I think... I think you would certainly have to rebrand it because open source means so many things to people that... Really yeah, I'm not saying this... that it should be open source. I'm just saying right. there's no word for this thing that I'm thinking of. Right. I think that could, in theory, work, especially if you basically said, we'll let you run your own private version of this. You know, if you basically said, you can have your own company, LO, that might work. But they would have to be all interconnected. Right. To and... actually have it be a social network. Right. And so... And not just be another Slack. Yeah. The challenge for that and and sort of the problem for that is that people have tried it now you can talk about why these other things haven't caught on there was uh, i guess it was tent is and now it's cupcake.io which kind of hilarious names if you ask me and that might be part of the reason they haven't caught on there you go uh but you know we're back to marketing as a broad term again now. yeah but i think there's also something to be said for the time is right, that zeitgeist chirotic moment. Right. And I think that we're reaching that point where I'm tired of Facebook. <laughs> I do it because that's where all the people are. But yeah, I, if there were all people were somewhere else, I would probably go there. Right. And the trick is always getting enough of the normals, quote unquote, you know, the people Whoa. who Whoa. follow. <laughs> All the people who don't follow tech news and think about federated protocols and so on, uh, getting all of those people to move or enough of them that it's viable, at least your crowd, you know, even if that's yeah. just that really you just care about getting the musicians to move and you can drop yeah. pictures on Facebook for your mom. Yeah. Getting your musicians to move is hard. Yeah, it's true. And that's that's where those other platforms have run into problems. That's where app.net ran into problems. I suspect from what I've heard that that may be where Elo runs into problems in the long run is people will try it out, but unless there's something that really makes it a compelling alternative just to using Twitter and Tumblr as the individual things that they are, people will just keep using Twitter and Tumblr. And the moment may be right, I agree, but capitalizing on that moment remains very difficult. 
venture capitalizing on that moment. <laughs> I see what you did there. Mm. So we're really interested in Ello, and we're really excited that it exists, and we're looking forward to seeing how it continues to exist. And we hope that they are able to use their non-ad supported model, whatever it is, to grow, thrive, and make me not have to see ads on Facebook or use Facebook. This has been episode 1.13 of Winning Slowly. All of our content is licensed under a Creative Commons Attributes license. So you can chop it up. Remix it and do whatever you'd like with (laughs) it. Just don't say you made it the original time. You can, of course, follow us on your favorite social media. Uh, (laughs) That includes, of course, Twitter, app.net, Facebook, and Hello. I gave up on Google Plus a long time ago. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) We'd also Uh, like to thank Falcon Arrow for the use of their song at the beginning. Check them out. Don't use their stuff without their permission. And you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app or iTunes. And we've got a quiz for you, listeners. If we ran funding, Indiegogo or Kickstarter or some such, to get us both awesome microphones so that we sounded more awesome for you. Not venture you... capital, though. Just Not venture clear. capital. Crowd capital. <laughs> would, you, would you go for that? Let us know on those favorite social media sites of yours. Until next time. I've been Chris Kreitcho. And I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. You'll just have to scrub the weird pauses.